worship. What a beautiful song. You're beautiful. Powerful song of worship about how awesome, how beautiful our God is. And he certainly is that. Well, you saw the end of the video there. We're almost toward the end now of our series on Investing 101. And we talked the last four or five weeks um, about investing in the things that matter. And not talking about the stock market or our 401k, but talking about our lives, our the spiritual aspect of investing um, in the things that really matter in life. And today's message talks about our character, investing in our character. And I, in my heart, I just really feel like this is a big one. This is a big one. Um, it probably won't be the most exciting message. You probably won't go, whoo-hoo. But however, it, there's probably not another message in this series that can impact us as much as this one can. Men, we need to hear this today. Ladies, we need to hear this. Students, we need to hear this today. And even our younger children, you know, those maybe in the second, third, are definitely old enough to understand um, the importance of investing in a godly character. So kind of the sub-theme today, then, is character builders. Character builders. How do we build a character? How do we do that? And, and the title, not on this side, but coming up just about later on, it, it's, it's on your sermon sheet, is Lagos Legos. Lagos Legos. Because there's a couple of things I want to reference today, and I'll explain that in just a moment. There's a couple of things I want to reference. How do we build character? And so you're probably asking the question, what my wife asked. So what exactly is character? Well, what I did was I did some research and found up about, oh, six sayings um, that deal with the topic of character. And then we're going to close with a definition, and then we're going to jump off from there. Okay? So here's, we'll start out with one that you may have heard by Stephen Covey. And uh, this is character uh, generalization number one. He says, we are to sow a thought, sow a thought, and then you reap an action. In other words, thoughts lead to actions. Then, when you sow that action, you reap a habit. You do an action over and over again, and it becomes a habit in your life. You sow a habit, then you reap a character. That habit becomes a part of who you are. Then you sow a character, and you reap a destiny. That is really good. That is a very powerful statement. And by the way, Judy said, Dwayne, do you have these to hand out this morning? No, I don't. But if you'll call me at the office, I can get you these. They're very good. They're very powerful. You can get them off the Internet also. So that was by Stephen Covey. Now, this one I did not have an author, but let this soak into. Very, this is a good char- uh, characterization of character. Character is how you treat those who can do nothing for you. Now, let's just be honest. If, if I feel like perhaps you can, you know, like buy my lunch, you know, I'm just kidding. You know, I might treat you one way, but if I know there's no lunch in the deal, well, I might treat you another way. Now, again, just kidding. But, but character is how we treat those who can do absolutely nothing for us. That's great. That's powerful. How about this one? This is by Michael Josephson. Um, people of character do the right thing. People of character do the right thing even if no one else does. People of character do the right thing even if no one else does. That is very strong. Now watch. Not because they think it will change the world, but because they refuse to be changed by the world. That is very good. Your character, what your character is, is what you're going to anchor yourself to. That's what he's saying. 
All right? Um, how about this? Thomas uh, Paine, one of our founding fathers, said, Character is much easier kept than recovered. Now, some of you know this because you had a character collapse somewhere in your past and you're still fixing the damage. You know? Um, uh, if you think about whatever you thought about Bill Clinton back when he was president, you know, um, Bill Clinton, Monica Lewinsky. You know, I think it was him, it was in his presidency that the phrase came out, character doesn't matter. Wrong! Character is the matter. It matters that much, okay? So, so an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. It's easier to keep your character than try to repair your character. Zig Ziglar, some of y'all might remember him as a, a Christian motivational speaker, said, oh, good. We build our character from the bricks of habit we pile up day by day. We build our character from the bricks of habit we pile up day by day. In other words, the things that we do daily will help or will establish our character. Um, you know, I, I remember a story. It's funny how you remember things, and I don't, I, this is an old story, old story. But it's about a young man who had an interview for a job. And he was one of those young men that didn't quite understand integrity. He was, he was, generally speaking, you would say he was a man of integrity, but he didn't quite get it. So he had an interview for a job. By the way, this is supposed to be a true story. He had an interview for a job and did well with the interview. And so after the interview, he and the boss went down to the lunchroom for lunch. And so here is the young man. Here's the boss. Okay? And so they're going through the lunch line, and it's one of those cafeteria-style things and he picked up a roll, and then he picked up a pat of butter. Now, the pat of butter was a nickel, five cents, okay? And the boss observed that he reached down, the young man did, and slowly put the pat of butter under his napkin. He didn't get the job. See, throughout his life, little things didn't matter. Little, little breaches of integrity did not matter. They do matter. And so our characters form uh, from the bricks that we pile up in habits um, in our lives. Zig Ziglar, very good. Now, this next one is probably the most important one. It's the most common one. It's one you may have heard, and boy, is it true. It says this. Our character is what we do when we think no one is looking. Our character is what we do when we think no one is is looking. You know, here at church, we generally speaking, generally speaking, we put on our best face, okay, occasionally that face slips, um, but we put on our best faith. But when we get out there in the world or away from our Christian friends or whatever, you know, we sometimes become this other person. Or, again, we think no one is looking and so we do whatever we want to do. Well, character is what we are. When no one else is looking, that's very good. So those are six really key thoughts about character. And again, if you want those, we can get those for you out of the office. Um, those are the kind of things you want to put on your bathroom mirror, okay? Because this character thing is really huge. Well, Dwayne, what's the official de definition then of character? Well, the official definition of character is this. It's the particular combination, the particular combination of things about a person, especially things that you can't see, that make that person different from others. Let me read to you again. I know it's kind of wordy. It's out of the dictionary. What do you expect? Okay? 
the particular combination of things about a person, especially things you cannot see, that make that person different from others. In other words, our character is the real definition of who we are. Who we are. And it's often defined by not just words, but actions. Okay? That's really big. That's really big. If you want to know who you are, take a look at your actions. Not how you say, you know, not how you say, well, I am this, I am that. What does your lifestyle say? You know, the old saying is, if you really know how, how spiritual or how deep a person is with God, check their calendar and check their checkbook. The two things. Check those things out. But check other things in your life. Your actions dictate really who you are. So, so the question then becomes, how can we build a godly character? How, how do we, let, me, let me rephrase that. How do we build character? How do we build character? Okay? Now, see there it says building character one brick at a time. Now, obviously, what's today? Mother's Day. Mark it down. A big chunk of our character, initially anyway, is formed by those who are closest to us, particularly our parents. Some of the things that you are today, you are because of your mother and because of your father. Okay, and the good news is if you had a really strong mother and father spiritually, then that means you had a good implant of character. Now, what you do with that implant, again, is really up to you later on. But at least initially, you started with a good foundation for godly character. But often, that is not enough. Now, how many of y'all remember 8-tracks? Anybody? Yeah. All right, right, here you go. Watch this. How many of y'all remember 4-tracks? My, yeah, you remember one, dude. Yeah, four track was the pre- predecessor to eight tracks, okay? And I don't know where my brother laid a hold of one, but back when we had our 1961 Plymouth Station wagon, we were privileged to have a four track, okay, in our car. And we had two tracks, two tapes. We were not very wealthy. One was Red Somebody, a country speaker, a, a singer. Red Savine, Savine, yeah, whatever, yeah, yeah, yeah. Him was one, and the other was Merle Haggard, okay? So here we are, you know, here we are like now 54 years later, and ingrained in my brain is some of the songs from that Merle Haggard track. And I can't, excuse me, I cannot resist the urge to sing this part of the song. Because believe me, I, I, all but one line is ingrained in permanently. But it goes something like this. I turned 21 in prison, doing life without parole. No one could steer me right, but Mama tried. Mama tried. Mama tried to raise me better, but with her pleading, I denied. That leaves all, oh well, that leaves only me to blame, cause Mama tried. She'll listen to my inner spirit. (laughs) But isn't it funny? All these years, that's in my brain. But, But it's a perfect example that Mama ain't enough. Now, because I messed the words up, let me read it to you again. I turned 21 in prison doing life without parole. No one could steer me right, but Mama tried. Mama tried. Mama tried to raise me better, but her pleading I denied. That leaves only me to blame because Mama tried. So, so in order to, to have character, we need something more than even a strong mother or a strong father. Though Those are critical in the process. Well, let me just clarify a little bit now and say this. There's a difference between good character and godly character. 
good character and godly character. Good character today, basically, is whatever is morally acceptable to society. So, so there are some things in our, our culture today that are not biblical, but if you do them, people would say, well, yeah, he's, a good, he's, he's got a good, good character. Because, again, it's dictated by a moral state. But godly character is not dictated by society, but God. But God. So if you want to have, not only if you're a believer in Christ today, not only do you want to have good character, you want to have godly character. So where does that begin? Where does it start? And it begins, of course, in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 1. This is a wonderful scripture, verses 1 through 5, talk about uh, godliness and godly character. How does that happen? And I mean, if you're here today, if you're here today and you're a dad, I didn't, by the way, I don't care if your kids are grown or not. If you're a dad, this is like huge. Because you still have, even on your grown children, you have influence. You have influence. Now, if you had to be the father of younger children, oh my, this is even more important. You have influence on your children and on your wife. And of course, mom, mom, if, if your children are grown, you still have this huge impact on your children and those around you. As we talked about the mothering thing. Um, yeah, and if your kids are smaller, oh my goodness. Hey, godly wife. You have a character impact on your husband. And godly husband, you have an impact on your... Hey, godly boss, you have an impact on your work environment. This thing is huge. So how do we do this? How do we do this? Well, in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 1, we read these words. Now, this is just good scripture. Paul writes out, writing, by the way, writing, this is important, writing to the Romans, okay, the Christians in Rome. Okay, that's a little bit important for a little bit later on. Here's what he says. Therefore, since. Now, now therefore always makes us pause and look back at what had been said. So the first word, therefore, causes us to pause and look at chapter 4. I need for you to do that on your own time. So, so look, and not now while I'm preaching. So, so, you know, therefore means look back at what Paul had been talking about in chapter 4. The word since looks forward. So, so the word since looks forward to what he's about to say. All right? So where does godly character begin? It starts with a relationship with God. Not religion. Not good works. Not I'm going to try harder. Okay, it starts with a relationship with God. Here's what Paul writes. Therefore, since we have, now these are just good words. Since we have been declared righteous by faith. Our relationship with God, and don't let the fact that you might be familiar with this uh, cause you to pass this over. We, therefore, since we have been declared righteous by God. In other words, God makes a statement about his children. Okay, and here's what he says about us. I have declared you right. I have made a declaration, and in my sight, you are right. Okay? Now, notice who made the declaration? Who made the declaration? God did. God did. The one that matters looks at his children, his children, those who have trusted Christ, and says, I have declared you right. And how does that happen? Oh, oh well, that's easy, Dwayne. I just do what he wants me to do, you know, Mr. Performance. I'm like a puppet, and I just, he pulls the strings, and I move. And, you know, no, of course not. Don't you dare believe that. 
Your declaration of rightness before God has nothing to do with your performance. It has, now, I know you've heard this before, but I want to make sure you get it. It has nothing to do with, with how well you do in this life, how well you obey, or how many times you go to church, or if you tack a particular denominational name on your chest. No, it has to do with faith. Therefore, since we have been declared righteous, how? A little louder. By faith. By faith. I really like this. I found it in the commentary. I was using a study. There's a, there's a people group um, in southern Mexico, and you might say, well, what's a people group? Well, it's a group of people. Just thought you might want to know that. That's all, okay? So anyway, so in southern Mexico, there's the Chamalas, Chamalas people, okay? And so they were doing church work there, and they were translating the New Testament into their language, okay? So as they did this, they hit a stump, Tracy. They hit a stump because in their language, there was not a single word for faith. So that's a huge word in the New Testament. So they, they, the translators grappled with it and grappled with it. And they're able to finally come up with a, a statement that describes, in their language, faith. And here's what they came up with. The word faith, in their language, worked out this way. For them, it was taking seriously what God has obligated himself to do. Taking seriously what God has obligated himself to do. And so, and so, in verse 1, it would translate like this. Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by taking seriously what God has obligated himself to do, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, so then, and that really is a great translation of the word faith for us. For us. My question today is, now listen, listen. Has there come a time in your life when you took seriously what God has obligated himself to do? Have you reached a point in your life when you acknowledged that you were a sinner, that you had sinned against holy God, that you understood that Jesus died on the cross, that God sent his son Jesus Christ, virgin born, sinless, and that Jesus died on the cross and experienced the full wrath of God, as payment for our sin, and he did it for you, has there been a time in your life when you believe that, when you took seriously what God has obligated himself to do, when you believe that and you decide to turn away from your old life and to follow Jesus Christ? That's how it all begins. It doesn't start with getting dunked in some water. It doesn't start with going to church. It doesn't start with getting religion. It starts with taking seriously what God has obligated himself to do. And he says, if we will believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and confess with our mouth, then we will be saved. We, amen. Is that right? We will be saved. So godly character begins with a relationship with God by faith, by God declaring us right by faith, by taking seriously what God has obligated himself to do. And through that, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This peace is big. You know, let, let me read this date. I, I wish I had memorized it. I did not. May 8, 1945. May 8, 1945. Now, if we were to reverse the clock 25 years, okay, and I said, May 8, 1945, every World War II veteran in the room would say, the day that Hitler surrendered. 
The Third Reich surrendered. They knew it because they were experiencing the war, okay? And they experienced the war, and that peace was declared. They experienced that peace. How about this? September 2nd, 1945. Again, reverse the clock 25 years. Every, every World War II vet who'd served in the Pacific would instantly say, the day Japan surrendered is the day peace was declared. I was in a war, and then peace was declared. Now, now from there, it's a little bit different. What if we go to the Vietnam era? And there's lots of Vietnam veterans here today. Then, then for them, now the war ended, okay, on August the 15th, 1973. But in Vietnam, it started something that's just a little bit different. In other words, you would join the army or be drafted. You would go, and generally speaking, you served a year. So one day, you're in this United States of America. A couple days later, you wake up, and you find yourself in a war zone in the jungles of Vietnam. Some of the hardest living there was. You stay there a year, and then you start counting the days. You say something like this. A month and a wake up. Fifteen days and a wake up. Seven days and a wake up. Two days and a wake up. One day and a wake up. I'm going home. And at that point, even though the full war still raged, you were going home. You, that became your peace day. Now, here's my point. That peace day for you was the day you trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. It varies throughout this room. But is there a day when you were at war with God? And yes, you were. Yes, you were. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, you've got to understand something. You're at war with God. You're at, in, you're at odds with God. But the day you trust Jesus Christ, hostility cease. And you become at peace with God, peace with God, and you are a child of God. How huge is that? So, so he says we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that sets up the environment. Um, that sets up the incubator for godly character. You know, godliness... Godliness is the incubator, and because it's Mother's Day, um, godliness is the womb where godly character is conceived and grows. Godliness is the process that leads to godly character. Again, I'm not after good character today. God's not after good character. God is after godly character from his children. From his children. Hugely, hugely important. So... And the second part of verse number two, we read these words. Now, we have also obtained access. Now, there are certain stories that I just love to tell. Uh, Terry and I have a story we love to tell. I sat in Brent's office today and told a grand and glorious story uh, of our lives that involved redemption and grace. I love the story. And, and this is one of the stories. Look what he says in verse two. We also, or we have also obtained access. Now, that means that I have been granted permission to enter somewhere. I've been granted, you know, I've got my pocket, I've got this little little thing. I used to have the master key, I called it the key to the submarine. This little thing right here is one of these electronic things, and I can go up to any door that has a keypad outside, and it goes, beep, and I have access. You don't have one of these. Sorry. But I do. I have access. And Paul is saying, by this, by this, we have obtained access. Access to what? Access the creator God of the universe. Let 
that soap in. Don't run past it. Don't run past it. You, as a child of God, have access to Creator Father. You can go into the throne room any time you want. And that story doesn't grow old with me. I mean, God welcomes me into His chamber any time. When I fail because of grace, I'm welcome. When I get it right, I'm welcome. Well, how did that start, Dwayne? Well, this is it. I, I can't grow tired of this. Don't, don't miss this. It's Matthew 27, 50 and 51. But Jesus cried out with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. Now, you don't, don't miss that. See, Jesus died on the cross, but they didn't kill him. Tim, they didn't kill him. They couldn't kill him. I remember... I remember when, this is a great story. So, so when, when the girls were like three and two, no, four and three, we, we were living in Cobden, and we were interviewing a worship leader at the kitchen table. And so I finally looked at the girls, and I said, girls, y'all need to go upstairs and get dressed for bed. And so they're gone a few minutes, and they, they come down naked, just telling you the truth. They came down and said, Daddy, 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 there's a snake in the toilet. I said, you guys will do anything. There's not a snake in the toilet. Go upstairs. Daddy, there's a snake. There better be a snake in the toilet. So I go up there, you know, and I look in the toilet, nothing but clear water. I'm going, girls, lift the seat, Daddy, lift the seat. I lifted the seat and dudes and dudettes curled up on the lip of the toilet was a snake. A snake. So I said, holy moly, they were telling the truth. And so we take, uh, I take, at first I think it was a co-hanger, and I knocked the snake into the toilet. Now, here's some of you he-men, you know, are saying, why didn't you grab the snake? I'm not going to grab a snake, okay? I'm not going to grab a snake. And so the snake is now in the water, and so I'm figuring I'll flush him. Yeah, guess what? Snakes don't flush. I took a coat hanger and held him down under the water thinking I could drown him. Point number two, snakes don't drown. Snakes don't drown. Now listen, the point is, the point is, the point is, no matter how hard I tried, okay, I couldn't drown him and I couldn't flush him. It wasn't going to happen. Now here is the point. We have obtained access to him and you know, when he cried out, it is finished, it was done. They could have tried to kill him all they wanted, but they couldn't. The last breath and the last heartbeat were under the total control of Jesus Christ. The last heartbeat and the last breath was in total control. Just like I couldn't flush the snake, they couldn't kill Jesus. But when the time came, he yielded up his spirit. Verse 51. Suddenly, 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 the curtain of the sanctuary was torn in two. And now again, excuse me. I know I, I teach this every once in a while. I love it. I love it. For thousands of years, the Holy of Holies represented the presence of God. The holy place was here, and they were separated by a curtain that was probably 20 to 25 feet tall. And if you can imagine, woven in wool, six inches thick, six inches thick. And it said, no entrance, keep out, access denied. And then Jesus cries out and says, it is finished. And when the price 
was paid on the cross, the Bible says, what says it? The Bible. The Bible says that the curtain of the sanctuary was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earthquake and the rocks were split. In other words, God reached down from heaven, and this, this wall that said, no access, keep out, you're not welcome. He reached down and ripped it in two and said, come on in. Now shoot that thing. Shoot that thing. When Paul says, you know, we have also obtained access, that's what he's talking about. When Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood, every believer in Jesus Christ has full access, full access, full access to Creator God. Now listen, listen, that's important. That's important when you've got cancer. That's important when your loved ones are sick. That's important when your husband dies. That's important when you lose your job because you can go to God and say, God, i got a problem and I need to talk to you and you don't get a busy signal. You get access. You get access. You get access to Creator God. Shoot that thing. Shoot that thing. That is so, that is so powerful and so true. Would you just live that? Don't take it as a rant and raving preacher. Would you live that? Would you understand that? As you young parents are raising your kids, as, as you're going through the struggles of life, would you live that? Would you know that no matter what happens, you've got access to the Father? In fact, you know, they're not even close together. Matthew and Hebrews, they're not the same author. But you can read these two together. It's like they're married. Let me start again with Matthew 27, 50. But Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. Suddenly, the curtain of the sanctuary was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earthquake and the rocks were split. And all of a sudden, enters Matthew four, or excuse me, Hebrews four sixteen. Therefore, it's like it was married together. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, not cockiness now, not cockiness. But I can walk up to the throne of Creator God because He is my Father. He is my dearest Father. I can walk up to the throne of grace with boldness so I can receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Wow. How about that? That's what you gain. And that's the incubator. That's the incubator for godly character. That kind of relationship. That kind of relationship. When you're struggling in life trying to grow that character and you, and you fail, you can go boldly to the throne of grace and find help and mercy in the time of need. So back in 5.2a, it says, We have also obtained access through Him, by Jesus, by faith, okay? Taking seriously what God has committed Himself to do into this grace. All this because of God's grace. Not because we earned it. Not because we're good enough. Not because somehow we impressed God enough. It's all this grace. This grace in which we now stand. Todd Agnew wrote that song. It sounds like the original Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wrench like me. And I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind. But now I, so, I see so clearly. Hallelujah. Grace like rain falls down on me. Hallelujah. And all my stains are washed away. They're washed away. We stand in the presence of Almighty God, drenched in His grace. Have you ever been like in a frog strangling downpour? 
I don't mean these little sprinkle things. I mean, we're talking about a pelting, heavy, drenching rain. Well, man, if I could help you see God's grace, that's the way it is. God doesn't do the little Methodist thing and sprinkle a little bit of water on us and call it grace. Uh Uh-uh. He drowns us in grace. He saturates us with grace. He inundates us with grace. He dumps grace on us. He doesn't give us just a little. He gives us a lot. And that's so powerful and so important to our character. So we have attained access through Him by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And then the second part of that verse 5, 2 says this, and, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in the hope of glory of God. Now, can I put those together so we don't miss it? We have also obtained access through Him by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And when will the glory of God be most manifested? Heaven. That was a good place for an amen. Heaven. 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 We rejoice in the hope that this isn't all there is. That struggling sometime in, in a world that's not very godly, you know, we have that hope of heaven. That this is not home. That there's a home coming and it's the glory of God. It's the manifestation of the glory of God for all eternity. Eternity. Over in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7, you know, Paul's talking about grace and he says, We also raised, he, he also raised us up with him and seated us, past tense, with him in the heavens. He raised us up and seated us, past tense. In other words, God says, again, your salvation, your relationship with God is so secure, God sees it as already done for eternity. He raised you up and he seated you. That's just so powerful, so powerful. So he goes on and he says this, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. I love this. Trophies of grace. How many of y'all been to Disney World? Where, where's Blair and Ryan? Are they in here? Blair and Ryan, huh? are they here today? Yeah, there you are. Yeah, Blair's been to Disney World like 847 times. Okay? Like, and so if I walk up to Blair and say, Hey, Blair, you know, t- describe Disney World. Tell me about Disney World. She might go, Hang on and I'll show you. And she'll go get the scrapbook and pull it out and say, you know, this is Disney World and this is... I, let, let me just show you Disney World. What, what Paul is saying in Ephesians chapter 2, when he talks about he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness. If theoretically, if somebody could walk up to God and say, hey God, what's grace? You go, hmm, huh, let me show you. And he point down the hallway and there are the countless thousands and millions of people who have been saved by His wonderful grace. And then He would look over here. It has to be hypothetical. He'd look over here and point down the hallway and goes, that's grace. Oh, come on! That's grace! That's grace. See all those people? That's grace! And we're the trophies of grace that throughout the eons of time, God's going to point to and say, yes, that's the immeasurable riches of my grace through the, the kindness of my son through Christ Jesus. Woo! Shoot that thing. How powerful is that? Yes, how wonderful is that? 
I'm telling you. See, and all of this builds up to the idea and the fact that we can have godly character because of this relationship we have with God as believers. It, it, it creates a desire, an appetite for godly character. Now, I really don't have a lot of time left, um, but, but let's just real quickly look at Romans uh, 5, uh, 3, and 4 because it goes on. Paul says this, and not only that, <laughs> Paul says, not only all of that, he says, but we also rejoice, we also have joy in our afflictions. Hmm. I get joyful sometimes, but in my afflictions, really, Paul? Yep, in my afflictions. See, suffering was a way of life for the first century church. Okay? Um, you remember who he's writing to in Romans? The Christians in, you guys are sharp. You guys, right, the Christians in Rome. Now, now you understand Nero had a twisted personality, and he just loved to take Christians and drench them in oil and hang them on a pole and light them up to light the streets of Rome. He loved to have games. He would throw large games in the arena, and he would round up Christians and run them into arena to be eaten by the wild animals. I mean, we don't get it today. Trust me. We don't. Our friends in Central Asia understand it. Our friends in North Africa understand it. Our friends in the strong Muslim world that are believers, they understand it. We don't understand it. But, Paul says, not only that, we also rejoice in our afflictions, in our sufferings, because we know that affliction or suffering produces endurance. Endurance is that ability to face difficulty without giving in. It's the ability to keep on going without giving in. So, so, so we rejoice in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. And, and he goes and says, endurance produces proven character. Now, proven character is a little bit different than just character. Proven character is that which has been tested and proved. Tested and proved. So, so our affliction produces endurance, and endurance produces proven character. Character has been tested and proven to be true, okay? And that proven character produces hope. Now, what is hope this time, Stephanie? What's hope this time? Hope is the confident assurance that God's got your back. Hope is the confident assurance that our God is sovereign and he's got it. Hope is the confident assurance that God never, someone say never, never makes a mistake. Hope is the confident assurance that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father above. Hope is the confident assurance that all things work together for good to those who love God, who are the called according to his purpose. So, so you understand this? We have affliction, which leads to endurance, the ability to, to not cave during difficult times. Endurance leads to character, proven character. Character's been tested, okay? And character's been tested leads to hope, a confident assurance that God is powerful and God is sovereign. And folks, that's good. That's just good. You know, I, I get the questions like you get the questions. Why didn't God do something about this? Why, God, why does God allow the evil in this world? Well, can I just remind you of something? God didn't plan this world evil. We messed it up. And what God did was, he said, I'm going to send my son 
to pay for the price of their sin. And then open the door and say, no matter who, black, white, green, yellow, no matter how tall your sin is or short your sin is, if you'll believe, if you'll take seriously what God has obligated him to do, if you'll just believe in my son, I'll forgive your sins. And then I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will help you grow the character that you need, the godly character that you need. That's it. That's it. That's it. Now listen, I'm telling you. Everything I do as a teacher, I try to bring it home so it's practical. Now, if you're here today, chances are if you're a parent, especially of younger middle school, younger children, if you're a mom with, with, you know, with two under three or two under five, you know, however it is, you, know, you, never, you would probably confess and say, I never get it right every time. And that's a good way of saying, I need help. Well, guess what? As a believer in Jesus Christ, you've got to help. If you're a husband here, you would be wise enough, I hope, to say, I don't always get it right. I need help. Well, guess what? You got God. Ladies, you'd probably be wise enough to say, I don't always get it right. If you're a boss here, I don't always get it right. If you're a teacher here, I don't always get it right. And that's where God steps in. And remember, godliness is the incubator, okay, for godly character, where it grows and where it thrives, where it's conceived. So as we imagine the impact, as we seek God, seek God, we have a relationship with Him, and then we seek God and say, God, I need you to grow godly character. How powerful that would be in our families. How powerful that would be in our churches. How powerful it would be in our culture. And it would be huge. So the invitation today, really from God, not from us. The invitation from God today is, first off, if you're here today and you've never had that declaration of peace... If there's never come in your life when you've never personally asked Jesus Christ to forgive your sins, believing that he died on that cross for your sin, he paid the price for your sin on that cross, if you've never asked him to forgive that sin, turning from that sin and choosing to follow him, man, we would love to share that with you today. My friend Brent will be standing down front, and we'll take a few moments to try to answer your questions. If we need more time, we'll make an appointment with you and come to your house or your place of work, wherever you want us to come and meet you so we can explain to you just how much God loves you and what he did for you through his son, Jesus Christ. And if you're here today, you know, we were talking, it, it sparked from the conversation last week about Frank Page uh, in a moral relationship. And we were talking about the, how important it is to understand the lesson, take on lesson from that, for preachers anyway, is... God help me. God protect me. But if you're unwise enough, if you're unwise enough to sit here today and go, I don't need help. I've got it. I am daddy of the year. I'm mom of the year. I'm husband of the year. I'm student of the year. If you're unwise enough to say that, you need to know something. You have got a target on your chest. And Satan is going to eat your lunch. The wisest thing you can do is say, I need you, oh, I need you every hour. I need you to a holy God who loves you that much. So not only the invitation to come and trust Christ, but today to say, God, I'm restating my, my need for you today. I'm going to take seriously faith. I'm going to take seriously what you've obligated yourself to do. And I'm going to lean on you. Grow godly character in me. May it become of such importance nothing else matters in this world. And you know what? It's a game changer. It's a game changer for you, 
for your family, for our culture. Let's pray. Father, I really want to thank you today um, for the privilege of teaching this. And God, I stand as a needy man. I stand as a needy man knowing, Father, my own weaknesses. Father, I pray in Jesus' name for the men, the women, the students, the children that are old enough to grasp this. Father, burn into our hearts, Lord, the understanding of the need for godly character. Father, for the person who's never trusted you yet, oh, I pray, Holy Spirit, you'll draw them. They may not understand all that's going on, but just pull them today to make a decision to trust Jesus Christ, to believe um, what he has done for them. And, Father, for each one of us, for each one of us, may we, Father, who know Christ, may we, may we ask you today to incubate that, that culture, that, that godly character in our lives. Father, may we be the men, women, children, students, Lord, that you have called us to be. In a world that desperately needs to see the real deal, Father, may they look at us and see it. Love you, Jesus. Pray your Holy Spirit, you'll work in this time together. And I pray in your precious name. Amen. All right, this is our time of decision. If we can help you in any way, again, ask.